Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find a Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking, will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, I will let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Well, hi everybody. The first thing I want us to notice from this story is that God brings Abraham into his confidence. This is a a fascinating thing. The living God is taking a friendship to the next level. We, We go a long way in our friendships when we open up our thinking to to a friend on on a private level, something that we're thinking about, uh, a question that we're we're wrestling with, a dilemma that we're facing, and we we sort of take them aside and and say, I'm just thinking about this, I wonder what your opinion would be. Uh, It's it's a a nice thing to hear from somebody. It makes us feel like we're being included. It's it's like we're being taken seriously. It's like our, our insight, our wisdom, is, is worth hearing, and we feel the honour of it, the privilege of it. We are being confided in. It takes a friendship definitely up, up a, a level or two, and God intends that by this story, that the language of it uh, makes this point in different ways. God, God it says he, he comes down to, to talk with Abram. He, he comes down to see the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's 
he's, he's relating on a, a, a seemingly human level with Abraham. The, 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 the God who is above all things, the God who made everything from nothing, this one who is outside of space and time comes right down to Abraham and has a conversation with him about what he's planning. And he's thinking even. You get, you get the inside sort of idea. You get an inside track on, on what's going on in his mind. Shall I talk to my friend Abraham about what I'm going to do, about what I'm thinking of doing? God's goal and intention is to befriend. And we, we discover this as we go through the Bible. This is, this is his, his goal with with humankind with, with people he, he likes to connect with us on, on a deep level and the Bible says it in different ways in, in the Psalms it says he confides in those who fear him God, God shares his secrets with those who worship him who love him who, who are in awe of him who understand his glory and greatness people who come to him in that way he, he loves to open up his, his thinking. And uh, it comes across in, in various other ways. As we go through uh, this, this book, we see it in, in the invitations he makes, like in Jeremiah chapter 33, where God says, ask of me and I will tell you great and hidden things that you've not known. He wants us to be drawn into relationship with him by the promise of mysteries I want to tell you more I have so much I want you to know I want you to know me I want you to walk with me I want us to connect in a way that shows that we we're knowing one another even though the word that it says when, when, when we have Abraham being referred to as a friend by God he says I have chosen him but the word is actually you might have it in your margin if you look in your bible the the, the original word is known. I have known him. You think, well, I thought God knew everybody. Doesn't God know everything? Isn't that what it's like to be God? That when you're God, you know everything, right? Well, yes, you know everything in that sense of having, having awareness of everything, if you're God. But he doesn't just have an awareness of Abraham. He's walked with him. He's had a relationship with him. He's come alongside him. They've known each other. They've been friends. And that's been God's delight, God's plan, God's intention all along. There came the time when Jesus spoke to his disciples in John chapter 15. And he said, I, I no longer call you just servants. I, I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. I, I, I'm not just hiring you to get a job done. I want you to be in the the planning with me. I want you to talk it through with me. I want, I want to engage you on it. I want to consult with you on it. It's, it's a mind-blowing privilege that God offers to us. Ordinary people, ordinary sinful people who ought to just be servants, surely. That would be our best offer. We learn from the story of the prodigal son that the natural, the natural appeal that we would make to God would be on that basis. Let me in as a servant, as a slave. That's, that's all I have to be. I'll just, I'll just sit at the back. But God insists, no, come right in. I, I want to talk with you about my plans. I want to open up the spreadsheets, the maps, the, the plans. I want to talk it out with you. I want to get your input. I want us to discuss it. 
It's one of the great honours that we have, that God opens his secrets up to us. Paul lists it in the book of Ephesians as one of the great blessings that we have, one of the great spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places. If you're a child of God, you are initiated into the mysteries of God. You've, you've had him make known to you the mysteries of his will. We know where history's going. We know what God's doing. We know that it's not meaningless. We know that it's not just happenstance, that it's not just in the hands of crazy chaos, but there's a God who's planning it perfectly to the, the glorious goal of seeing his son inherit the nations as king of all kings. God's working all the time towards that. And if you're a, if you're a believer in Jesus, you can have the confidence that God's, God's behind the workings of, of apparent fate. God is working to his goal. And we get to be in on that with him. So I'm delighted when I read this story to be reminded of God's willingness to befriend ordinary sinners who are drawn into relationship to him by faith. And and then I look at the the way that this relationship develops. It's also a development of Abraham himself. The way that that God befriends us is not without purpose. (laughs) He, He does want to see us develop. He knows that we need developing He knows that we're left to ourselves selfish people and he knows where our instincts lie. He knows that we're also, we're kind of infants, we're novices. We need to grow up. We need to become more mature. We need to become wiser. And if you look at the way Abraham conducts himself in this conversation, it shows that some maturity has been going on. He's been developing Abraham has, has grown in his ability to engage with God. It's like God has taken him on a journey. God's plan for Abraham, don't forget, is that he will have a child. That's going on in the midst of all of this story. There's the, the Isaac story in the background. This is kind of laced in and out of that story. They're woven together. God's giving him this promise of a child, but the child is to be the father of another child. And then there's this, this, the plan for a great nation to come from Abraham. That's God's plan, that Israel, a nation, will be born. A nation who are together friends with God. A nation who draw near to God and grow up and become like a son, like a child, a mature adult humanity who are close to God who learn God's ways, that they have God's heart within them. They become like God with his spirit existing within them. That was God's intention and plan when he chose Abraham, that there would be a people born of him who would be brought into not just friendship with God, but but sympathy with God, sharing the same concerns as God, looking outwards from the same vantage point of God, that that they come alongside God. And it's not just the the communion of one looking this way and the other, you know, face-to-face relationship. But there's also, as well as that, the standing alongside, looking outwards relationship, like a father and a son looking out and the son growingly able, increasingly able to, to take on the same concerns and passions and desires and ambitions that the father has. It was God's desire for his people. That is still his desire for his people in Christ. The, the, the true Abraham, if you like. The one who actually completely and utterly, truly, as a human being, 
matches up to God the Father in his, in his passions and fascinations and desires. What he's focused on is always what the Father's focused on and vice versa. You see, when you get to know someone who you're impressed with, someone that you admire, perhaps from a distance, someone you really look up to, it's very easy. I, I don't know if you've had this experience. Once or twice in my life, I've had the experience of getting to meet someone that I respected a long time before I met them. You know, maybe I read some of their books or I, I, I watched them do something on telly or something. Just once or twice this has happened. I remember one occasion I had the bizarre experience of sitting down to, to a meal with someone. And it, it wasn't until five minutes before it was happening, I didn't know it was going to happen. I just showed up at this place where this, I knew I might be a crowd of people. I was sitting right next to the one person that this meal was, the, the guest of honour, and I ended up just sort of, it's someone that I, from a distance, deeply respected and had learned a lot from. I tell you, I've never talked such nonsense in a meal as I did on that day, because I wasn't ready. I was just, I just, I'm right there, and this guy starts asking me questions and interested in my opinion, and I talk rubbish, because I, I just, I was not expecting this. this. This was the very earliest stage in my friendship, and sadly, it was the last stage as well. It was like, okay, that was my chance. Abraham is being taken through the journey of getting to know God, these chapters. And it's interesting, God has grown him. God has developed him. Abraham's conversation here is not just a guy who's flat-footed and, and, and thrown by the whole experience and a little bit dazzled by the cameras and the lights. And I don't know what to do. God's talking to me and he's, I don't know what to say. I'm going to sound like an idiot. And lo and behold, he did. That's, that's not what happens. Thankfully, Abraham by this time has grown to be more like the person he's been getting to know. He's becoming like his friend. He's thinking about the world the way that God does. See, there's a city that's full of wicked injustice, that's full of sin, it's full of corruption, it's full of perversity. And God wants to bring judgment to it. He wants to because it, it's necessary. When, when awful, horrible, unjust, wicked things happen, God is loving and good enough to want to do something about it. God is not dispassionate and unconcerned. He doesn't live in neutral. He hates wickedness. He loves righteousness, so he does want to bring justice and judgment. He does. Abraham gets that, but he also gets the fact that God is merciful and cares about people. And in fact, the whole reason God made friends with Abraham at the start in chapter 12 was so that through Abraham, he would bring blessing to all the nations, all the families, all the cities, that through Abraham, God's peace kindness and blessing would stretch out across the world. And so when Abraham knows that God wants to bring justice to a situation, he will also be thinking, but I think that God will also want to think about mercy. He will be wanting to show mercy because I, I've learned that about this God. So he starts to talk to him about it. Will you show mercy if there's 50 people there who, who, don't, who, who, who aren't wicked, who, who are righteous? Will you show mercy if there are 40? We, he, he begins this conversation because he, he's learned something about what God's like. He's, he's concerned about the things God's concerned about. He's reflecting back to God the things he's learned from God. He knows his heart. He knows what he's like. And God's plan for you is that you get to know him so that increasingly the things that concern you, the things you want to talk to him about, are not just, can I have a son, please? Can I have a child now? Please, can you give me the thing you said that you would give? 
good as those petitions are, we're not just called to petition, we are also called to intercession. The difference is that petition is when we're asking God for things for ourselves. Intercession is when we ask with just the same yearning and passion for things that have little to do with ourselves. We just get so caught up in God's heart that we feel with him his concern for the nations that we might not even visit, the peoples we might not even see, the person we might not even like. We might have reason to dislike them. But we've come to know the God who loves his enemies, who lays his life down for his enemies. And we find ourselves praying and praying and yearning and longing before God for the well-being of people who we didn't used to care about. Where does it come from? It comes from being befriended by God. It comes from nearness to God. The closer we get, the closer we truly get, the more we are changed and transformed in our yearnings and desires and concerns. That's that's the pattern, at least, that I see in this book. That's what I see here. You may have noticed it in your own life, the, the moments in your life where you might have been more and more overwhelmed with the goodness and the love of God towards you. Maybe you've had that experience where you've been deeply overwhelmed by how kind God has been to you. Have you noticed that very often the first emotion that follows is a longing that other people would have the same mercy from God as you've had? You start thinking about your family, your friends, your neighbourhood, your colleagues who don't know Jesus. It just comes naturally. can't help it. The church, when she's at her healthiest, when she's at her closest her nearest to God, when she is being most near to God, she starts to become most concerned about those who are not near to God. It's naturally what follows. Abraham has that same instinct flowing from him at this point. And we see that God is opening up to Abraham, if you like, the great tension. Maybe tension is an unhelpful word. It's a, it's a difficult word because I don't want to suggest that God is somehow conflicted and stuck in some great crisis because he's not he's not he's free he's totally free but what we do see as we look through scripture is this fascinating mixture of passions if you like maybe affections is a better word he very much is concerned with justice with righteousness with purity with things being right people being treated right his laws being treated right his honor his glory being treated right creation being treated right sexuality money power being treated right he is passionate about these things he is filled with with yearning for these things to be right and yet at the same time he is filled with mercy towards those who do these things wrong. He's filled with compassion even towards those who break his commands, those who spoil his plans, his creation, who bring uh, defamy to his name, who who dishonour his glorious name. God's compassion still wells up within him towards such people. And he's showing Abraham something of his, his kind of dilemma, if you like, in, in this story. And we have to, I'm using these words carefully because I, I want you to understand God is greater than any dilemma. <laughs> and the, the wonderful thing is we get to see how God has dealt with this dilemma through this book. We understand that, well, first of all, the living God is greater than any caricature of God that we form. If you 
ever had the experience of being caricatured, where people have misunderstood you? Sometimes people from a distance try to make out that they, they can sum you up in a line, you know, in a sort of tabloid headline or some kind of version of you, some kind of stereotypical idea. I remember once overhearing somebody I was hiring a bedroom from. I was, I was a student, I was hiring a bedroom years and years and years ago. I was actually in a different country traveling and uh, I overheard the guy from downstairs when someone else said, oh, what's the guy who lives in the room upstairs like? And he said, he said uh, he's a quiet chap. He's a quiet chap. That was his, that was his summary. I thought, oh, am I? <laughs> that's me, is it? I'm a quiet chap. It's because the guy, that was, that's how much he knew of me from his, you know, we didn't have a profound relationship. Maybe I am a quiet chap, but I don't know if I would want that to be the summary. I'm sure you've had the same experiences. You know, is, that, is, that, is that how you know me? Is that what you think of me? We have our caricatures of God. We have the mixture. Usually the two outstanding ones are either the, the kind of the vengeful kind of Zeus, you know, behind a cloud throwing thunderbolts or, you know, have, you know whatever. Just this, this you know, high on power, low on personality, which is one of my friend's definitions of this God. Just you know, full of, of great kind of cosmic uh, uh, capacities, but uh, uh, really not, not able to sympathize much. And then we have the other caricature, which is this kind of gooey God, which is the, the most common one, certainly in church circles these days. The kind of gooey God who is love and loves people. And it's all about love, but it's the kind of love that's beyond definition. It's not, it doesn't really mean anything, it, unless it means three chords and a faintly kind of vague look on your face. It's kind of, it's, it's just a cartoon idea of love and it doesn't really have any definition to it. So it's just sort of, it's just a little bit cheesy and sickly and sweet in a, in a, in, in a, in a way that doesn't really help us to f sort of sense any greatness or majesty to God. The God that Abraham's coming to know is this one who, who is filled with zeal for his own glory, for his name, for his, his son's honour, for righteousness, for purity, for holiness, for his creation to be, to be honoured, sorry, to be, to be a context for his honour and his majesty. And a God who is filled with yearning compassion, even for wicked enemies. This God, Abraham's coming to know what he is like he's coming to understand this glorious God and it's fascinating because he's kind of learning it partly by this strange haggling process he goes through you noticed it's kind of a weird haggling you expect <laughs> if Abraham starts by saying what if there are 50 people who are righteous and God's saying uh, uh, he's probably expecting God to or half expecting God to kind of come back with well no I'll give you it for a hundred and then they sort of meet halfway at 75. You know, they kind of find a... That's what haggling's supposed to be like. But Abraham is discovering as he explores the, the depths of God's mercy. He's realizing, I can keep going. God's got... There's no problem. I'm not having to fight him. I'm not having to beat him down. I can imagine Abraham going back, you know, like an agent to his wife saying, I, got him to, I beat him down to 10. It's not a lot of beating down going on here. God's just wide open. Yeah, for the sake of 10 people, I won't destroy a city for the sake of 10 righteous people. In fact, we don't even get the end of the haggling. There's no point where God says no. The, the implication is Abraham could have gone further maybe. Could have maybe got it down further. What's going on here? Well, what we're learning surely is that God is willing in, in, in a way that is just ineffable to us. God is willing 
to spare, to show mercy, to show forgiveness. The word is actually the same as the Hebrew word for forgive, to spare, to forgive the city for the sake of those who are righteous. The unrighteous are forgiven for the sake of those who are righteous. And he gets it from 50 right down to 10. For the sake of those who are righteous, God spares the unrighteous. And as we read the Bible through, we get to the point where we realise this is, this is actually pointing at the glorious way that God has shown mercy and forgiveness to a multitude, not just one city, but to the nations of the world. Because God is prepared to spare, to show mercy to you and me for the sake of one, one who is so righteous, so righteous actually, that his righteousness outweighs all of the, the feeble righteousness that we bring to the table. There's one who is so pure, so righteous, that, that for his sake, for his sake, God, God is prepared to show forgiveness. God is prepared to show mercy, to spare us. And this gives amazing hope to us. It gives hope because it, it means that cities like, like Brighton, like other cities, any, any, wherever you're, you are that you're watching this, you see, if God is, is willing to show mercy to a city like Sodom, and he is, it would seem, God, God is able to show mercy to, to any city, surely. Wherever there's a righteous presence, if there's just a, a few people who are worshipping Jesus, who knows what God can do? If God can use the intercession of one like Abraham. If God is willing to, to reach out to a city for the sake of just a few who love Jesus in a city, it means that our praying is, is not a waste of time. Our, our yearning for our cities doesn't fall on deaf ears. Look, look at this story. God, God will listen to the prayers of people for great and wicked cities. And God will show mercy. And God can show amazing mercy to whole cities. It happened in, in the history of this nation. Whole populations, people turning back to God, coming back, finding their way back to God, finding their way to the one who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And this gives hope to our praying. It means that we, we are wise when we draw near to him and pray. Just like Abraham, we draw near to make our, our appeal, to bring our intercession for the sake of our cities. Do you draw near to God like that? You might say, well, I, yeah, I, I pray all the time. I, I, I'm always praying. You know, I pray off for prayers here and there when I'm just going about my day. Good, I'm glad you do. But Abraham doesn't just do that. He's not just praying 24-7 in, in a vague way. He draws near. In other words, he devotes time, energy, intent. He draws near. Do you do that? Do you draw near to God to plead for your city, for your workplace, for your colleagues? Do you draw near to God with these requests for other people? Maybe you never get to meet them, but you still intercede for them. That's what we're called to. We're, we're like those who've been drawn near to God. We have nearness with God. In other words, our passions will reflect his. And his yearning is for the cities, for the nations of this world, for the peoples that don't know him. If, we, if we're near people who aren't near God, 
then Lord, help us to act like Abraham and to reach out to God on their behalf, that he would show mercy, that he'd stretch out his hand in forgiveness, that we would start to learn to persuade like Abraham, to reason with God, to bring our requests, not just to babble, not just to yell, but to say, God, let me, let me, let me argue with you. Let me, let me persuade you to show mercy in this situation. God isn't affronted. God welcomes it. It's what he made us for. It's what he wants. He initiated the friendship so that we would learn to think like him and, and persuade him to be merciful. He wants it. He plans it and builds it into our lives. And we can learn to do that. Sometimes we feel perhaps like we're just praying what we can pray. Abraham starts by praying for, 50, for the sake of 50. And he gets bolder and bolder and bolder in his praying. And we need to learn to do that. You think, well, I don't know how to pray. I'm not Abraham. I can't pray great mighty prayers. Pray what you can pray. Even he started somewhere. Start with a very simple request. Start with what's on your heart today. Start with the things that you're yearning for today and see where God takes you tomorrow. See how much you learn to pray more like Abraham as you, as you go through the phases and the developments that he longs to accomplish in your prayer life. I want to encourage you with hope because the reason God has befriended you, if indeed he has, is so that you learn to like him, pour your heart out for others and see things transformed and changed. And you can do that, not because you're so righteous, but because somebody else was righteous on your behalf. And that means anybody can draw near, including you watching this who might not yet be a Christian. If you don't know this God for yourself and you don't know how to befriend him here, let him befriend you. <laughs> He already came to you. He gave himself up for you. He was crucified for you so that you could be welcomed, so that you could be befriended by the living God. Turn to him, receive mercy from him today and draw near to him as his friend. Let's worship this living God together.